Warning, if you don't like profanity, you're in the wrong podcast. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by Us Not Getting Shot. Not getting shot, it's as awesome as those high school kids think it is. And now, The Scathing Atheist. Hi, this is Lee from North Carolina, and I just got my master's degree in something way more legitimate than theology. So you can definitely trust me when I say that we did, in fact, evolve from Filthy Monkey Men. Thursday. It's March 15th. And Stephen Hawking was cooler from a chair than I'll ever be from out of one. <laughs> I have no was. illusions. I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. From New York, New York. Secret Lair, Pennsylvania. This is Scathing Atheist. On this week's episode, Kim Davis becomes the first person to write a book she can't read. At Muhammad. Second person. <laughs> Reputation of United Airlines takes another hit after God gets dragged off a flight kicking and screaming. <laughs> and Jesus will turn out to be way realer than Alexander the Great. Take that. <laughs> but first, the diatribe. With my sincere apologies, there will be no diatribe this week. I had a pretty good streak going there, but it was bound to come to an end eventually, right? 264 weeks in a row, I managed to come out here and find a new way of saying, can you believe it with this Jesus shit? But there's got to be a finite number of times I can do that, right? I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I'm never going to run out of shit that proves them wrong. If all I had to do is provide novel arguments that disprove Christianity, I could pretty much just go through all the words in alphabetical order, right? I was like, week one, aardvark. No way conscious thought went into that shit. Week two, aardwolf. Why wouldn't you just use a regular fucking wolf? Week three, Aaron. You'd think God could find a spokesman who could speak or maybe miracle Moses out of that stutter. Week four, abacterial. The microbes go to heaven? If not, how'd all the humans and animals there work? If God had a non-microbial way of making life work, why the fuck wouldn't he have just used that to begin with? At the fall of man, we get carnivores and microbes. The good microbes join up with good people in heaven or do the microbes of bad people go to hell even if the microbes themselves didn't do anything wrong right it really is that easy but it also isn't that easy too for the same reason right the the very fact that almost all of the known things disprove the christian worldview is precisely why this gets so hard because eventually you have to accept that just stating indisputable facts and unavoidable consequences of those facts will never work. So you have to get creative. You have to start looking for ever more creative ways of sneaking up on the stupid. You ever have one of those conversations with like a like a really patient apologist or a diehard conspiracy theorist or something where you're like, you know what? This time I'm going to get through to them no matter how long it takes. And then three hours later, you're asking the bartender if they have anything intravenous and you're saying shit like, OK, but we can agree that a thousand divided by a hundred is ten, though, right? We can agree on that. Can we not? And, and now imagine that same conversation stretched out over five years and counting. No, I, I'll admit I'm, I'm overselling it when I say that because I'm not coming out here every week talking to intellectually masochistic Christians. I'm coming out here every week talking to you. You know, these these diatribes aren't so much 
banging my head against the wall as they are about saying, don't you hate it when you're banging your head against the wall and you just assume there's 24 inches between the studs? But but I'm still arguing against the same shit I was five years ago. There's been no original thoughts in the world of theology, apologetics, or religion since we started this fucking podcast. And even that fact by itself should be enough for us to cash it out and go the fuck home. But the fact that it isn't really underscores the challenge I'm facing here, doesn't it? And look, I, I don't mean to bitch because I know I've got one of the world's best jobs. So please understand, this isn't so much a gripe as an excuse, right? I, I, I'm sure I'll come up with something between now and next week and we'll be getting back to your regularly scheduled diatribes. But this week, I just stared at that blank page too long. What can I say that I haven't said? I've punched this fucking tree a lot of times and it doesn't seem to matter how hard I hit it. I've tried bobbing and weaving and jabbing. I've tried to hook. I've feigned. I've faked. But no matter how many punches I land, the round always seems to be a toss-up. 264 rounds in and my arms are getting tired. And and honestly, I feel like that's exactly the right analogy because the tree never goes anywhere. It never retreats and it never advances. And for all intents and purposes, it never changes I mean, sure, there'll be a new branch to whack at now and again. It'll look a bit different from one season to the next. And even a stiff breeze can sway it enough to change the shadows. But when the winds die down, it's always in the same position you left it in. So we set out against this tree every day, every week, every year. And we think to ourselves, okay, punching the trunk doesn't seem to be working. What if we punch the roots? Or, or, or maybe you punch the fruits and I'll punch the knots. Or, or, or maybe we all punch from the same side at the same time. And despite it's our boreal obstinance, we've got to find a way to get fired up to do it again next week, right? Now, I mean, it, and it's easy to think to yourself from time to time, but do we? Do we really? I mean, we are punching a tree. Maybe we just punch something else or don't punch stuff. And, and I get that. But, but if you look at it on a broad enough time scale, you see the point of it. You know, the tree is big and imposing and resilient as hell. But if you take another look, you'll see that it's already dying from the inside out. It's easy not to notice that because it doesn't change much from day to day. But if you look close enough, you'll see that it's infested with parasites. It stopped growing years ago. It's been rotting for a long time. And by now, it's almost completely hollow inside. And, and you know what? Maybe it'll just fall down without us. You know, maybe we'll be punching away one day. We'll go to bed for the night, wake up the next morning and find that fucking thing laying across the forest floor. Or, or maybe one of us will be in mid-backswing when gravity lands the coup de grace. But even if nobody's actually there to strike the fatal blow, every punch, weak or strong, is going to bring it down that much sooner. So yeah, my, my knuckles are sore, and yeah, my arms are tired, and yeah, I couldn't think of a new plan of attack this week. So no diatribe, but I'll be back to it next week, if for no other reason but the chance to be nearby when somebody finally yells timber. Not sure what we'll put where the diatribe usually goes, but uh, I'm sure we'll come up with something. They're talking about your Jesus. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for the headlines tonight are the Joe Friday and Bill Gannon of Atheism, Heath Enright and Eli Bosnick. Fellas, are you ready for just the facts? So I'm going to climb in the window and then I'll unlock the door for you. Yeah, yeah. And then I'll hide under the couch. Guys, what Ooh, the hell is going on? We're supposed to do the headlines now. What's with all these charts and maps and shit? Oh, no. Uh, see, we're not doing a lot of live shows for GAM this year. And me and Heath came up with a new way to meet our fans. Mm -hmm. We call it the B&E Live. Okay, no, we're not firm on that name yet. We didn't I felt like wait, we hold on, on, hold on, hold on. You're planning to break into our listeners' homes? Yeah, and then we'll be like, surprise, it's your favorite podcaster. Favorite podcaster. Ate, ate some of your food. Wait, ate some of their food? 
I mean, I will have. Guys, you guys, have if listeners want to meet us, they can do it at the American Atheist Conference in Oklahoma City, March 29th through April 1st. What's the American Atheist Conference? It's one of the largest secular gatherings in the world. This year has too many fantastic speakers to list them all. They've got people like the Psy Babe, Allison Gill, Kim Abel, and Hugh fucking Laurie. House is going to be there? <gasps> yes, yes, yes. House is going to be there. Oh, my God. But, but even more importantly, it's a chance to meet thousands of like-minded folks, House. hear great talks, meet and hang House. out with our whole cast, as well as purchase merch that we only sell at live events, like <clears throat> T-shirts, signed <clears throat> books, and Christian movie bingo cards. <sighs> Okay, but what if I can't make the whole thing or afford a full pass? Ooh, that's good okay. Question, good question. You're separately taken at events, a great chance to hang out with us in the lobby, and much, much more. Find out more at atheist.org. Again, that's atheist.org. Oh, my God, I'm going to give him lupus. Do not oh, nope. give Hugh Laurie lupus. And put these charts and shit away. We have to do... Heath, do, do we do have headlines? House. House. One house. House. No, headlines. Headlines. Okay. Headlines. In our lead story tonight, Christian bigotry icon and photo composite of everyone inside a Walmart right now, Kim Davis made headlines again <laughs> recently with the release of her new book entitled Under God's Authority, which is apparently a memoir about that time she refused to give marriage licenses to same-sex couples, got thrown in jail, got replaced as county clerk, and accomplished nothing, which is how God wanted it. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. that authority she's talking about. Right. Title. Wow. Writing a book about when you didn't do your job. And here I was thinking I had nothing to write in my memoirs. Just wait till they hear about how bad a bartender I was. Just wait. <laughs> well, and nothing else, you could pat it with a couple of chapters about that time you didn't give marriage licenses to same-sex couples in Kentucky. My <laughs> sure God, woman, you it. didn't all fucking remind me enough of Cartman and now you put authority in your book? <laughs> give me a fucking break. Okay, so I absolutely did not read this book. Nobody should read this book. But uh, I read some reviews and uh, I read a few passages and I saw two spots that really stood out and seemed to be worth mentioning. I'll start with the part where she compares herself to Martin Luther King Jr. Mm -hmm. Okay, because uh, of the adultery, the homophobia, height. Height, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Yeah, so she gets put in jail and after all the horrible abuse that happens to you know, black civil rights leaders in 1963 Alabama and also same thing to white women in modern day Kentucky mm -hmm, mm -hmm. decides to wipe off the blood and the tears and the delousing powder and read MLK's <laughs> letter from Birmingham jail for inspiration. And she quotes the part when Dr. King said, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. And those words inspired her to continue fighting for the rights of the oppressed, like homophobic Christian people in Kentucky. Yeah, it was never clearer that someone had smudged out the four in her copy. And I was just like, huh, continue fighting the rights of the oppressed. MLK gets me out. Right. <laughs> yeah, so the MLK comparison I was delightful. But I think my favorite part is when Kim Davis accidentally tells the story of how God is definitely real, but also fucking stupid yes <laughs> so she's in the middle of a big section about how god chose her to help protect the word marriage from gay word stealers mm -hmm. worst and, uh, dr seuss book ever by the way <laughs> speak for yourself and uh she writes quote how foolish is it that he god would take someone who's been married four times twice to the same husband 
and use me to defend marriage in a case that attracted national and international attention. <laughs> that would have been. End quote. <laughs> this was followed by a long, awkward pause while the book tried to think of an answer. <laughs> and then there was a beep sound and we learned that the book was having technical difficulties beyond its control. And they moved to the next chapter. It's like a coloring book for kids. It's like, why do you think God would do that? Draw it now. <laughs> was the answer good enough for you? <laughs> it's amazing how often the only apologetic these people seem to need is any hoozlebees. <laughs> yeah. So uh, one last thing, Kim, if you're listening. And we um, know you are. <laughs> we just wanted to thank you for offering to come on our show and talk about your book. However, we're pretty sure God wants us to protect the sanctity of the word author. So <laughs> just can't do it, you know, like morally. Yeah. Uh, Vito, I will start a pool on how long till Noah makes her cry. <laughs> I will start a pool by making her cry. Also, just real quick, one other moment I forgot to mention here in the story. It's in her book. She, she and her husband decided they were being like followed by militant gay people, spies or something. So they were buying cars like every two weeks to switch up like what she was driving into work and like changing their routes and like diving across like... <laughs> Like Fast and the Furious at intersections to different cars and stuff. Dive yeah. roll. Dive roll. She was pretty certain she needed to do oh, that. Oh, God, I would pay safety. anything to see Kim Davis doing a dive roll. <laughs> There's literally nothing I wouldn't do, that folks. probably happened a bunch. Awesome. Yeah. Please don't throw me in this here gay person patch. <laughs> <laughs> and in Trainwrecks news tonight... The end of the world got that much closer this week when Kremlin-certified American President Donald Trump abruptly ousted his Secretary of State and announced that unhinged Christian zealot Mike Pompeo would be taking his place. Trump justified the move by saying he and Pompeo share, quote, a very similar thought process, end quote, which is unfortunately true. Now, yeah, your lack of. Yeah, right. Now, normally, this is the kind of thing I'd say for the skeptocrat, but since Pompeo all but has theocracy now tattooed across his face, I figure maybe we should devote a couple of minutes to it on this show. Yeah, uh, a couple of minutes. And that's about how long cabinet jobs tend to last these days. Right. That's about right. <laughs> like 50-50, he resigns by the end of us doing this story. We'll yeah, check. right. Like, yeah, yeah, we'll we refresh. keep refreshing while I'm doing the story. I might have to back out early. Now, we've talked about Pompeo on the show before, of course, and recall him as the guy who leads the cabinet-wide prayer sessions every morning. A recent report from Foreign Policy Magazine, I think it was last September, titled More White, More Male, More Jesus, raised serious concerns that his religion was seeping into his work at the CIA and infecting the entire agency. Uh, he's condemned multiculturalism as a perversion of Christian values. He opposes abortion, no. even in cases of rape and incest. He believes that the rapture is a thing one should be actively preparing for. And he believes that Muslims have secretly infiltrated the highest levels of our government. Uh, by the way, not terrorists mind you no just, just <laughs> the yes. idea of muslim people having power in our government yep. he's a great dude what we're saying is he's a great dude well i think that's a bad i like i don't want any oh, well i don't want him there I either i was worried about him as them power in our government but yeah i see the point rank the religions <laughs> as you want them in power in yeah. point being though this is the kid who'd go to a model un conference during high school and create like a, a white nationalist rogue state and do like a whole, like, ruin the whole event and now he's our chief diplomat. This is like this is like making Donald Trump the president. Never mind. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Right. But of all his disturbing Christian characteristics, 
perhaps the most important one given his new job, is that he's repeatedly called for a holy war against Islam. So yeah, the guy leading our diplomatic efforts in the Middle East will now be a guy who said, quote, the threat to America is from people who deeply believe that Islam is the way and the light and the only answer, end quote, and has repeatedly referred to our military action in the Middle East as a holy war between, quote, the Christian West and the Islamic East, end quote. Chief diplomat. For now, TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Refresh. Refresh. Damn it. <laughs> And in first, Snopes came for the Pizza Gators news tonight. Alt-right pundit and fucking loodle doodle Mike Cernovich took to the internet this week to warn Christians that if they let Facebook and Snopes kick him off Facebook, they're coming for the Christians next. <gasps> yeah, right. Mark Zuckerberg, he's a notorious acolyte of Hitler. You gotta <laughs> yeah. watch out. <laughs> well, he's just been dying to find a, the right way to ban a third and a half of his users or whatever. <laughs> Now, uh, for those of you unfamiliar with Sertovich, uh, it's amazing to be you, but you are in for a treat. He is a pizza gator who enjoys, among other things, long periscope hangouts while he lies in bed shirtless, uh, pretending to be assaulted by college students when he doesn't know he's being filmed from the side as well, and coming into his own T-shirt when women turn him down. Basically, this bizarro hellscape timeline we live in, put that guy from your high school who keeps posting who wants to hang out tonight on Facebook and then deleting it, on the news. He's on the news now. <laughs> All right. Forgive me for saying it, Eli, but based on what you like to pretend college students are doing to you during your long shirtless periscope hangouts, I don't know that you're in a position to judge. Here. Two coque. Two coque. <laughs> and I wish you wouldn't use a second angle also. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm Mike's sorry for caring about art. <laughs> um, but sadly, Cernovich isn't just harmless fun. No, along with Pizzagate, he's a big old racist, homophobe and transphobe who likes to make shit up. And so Facebook's new fake news filters are coming for his precious, precious bodily fluids. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I hate it when the guy accusing a random business owner of being a baby pimp turns out to be dangerous. That sucks all the fun out of it, doesn't it? <laughs> exactly. So in response to reports that Facebook had threatened to suspend the page of Christian satirical site, the Babylon Bee, Mike took to the airwaves to let all the Christians know that they were next, saying, quote, I'm going to do my best, uh, Cernovich here. Don't defend me. I don't need you to defend me. Here's what I need you to say. Facebook and Snopes, they hate Christians. If you let them get rid of Cernovich, we are next. And that's the truth. It's proven now. End quote. <laughs> Come see the fact checking inherent in the system. That's <laughs> right. Yes, indeed. There was a report that Facebook had threatened to suspend a satire site, and then next come the pogroms. That's yeah. how it works, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but it gets more dramatic. Really? They aren't just going to ban you for making jokes while Christian. No, they're going to get you fired as well. Mike says, "Quote: If you think this is good, sorry." If you think this is going to end when they ban you from social media, if you think they aren't going to make it so you can't have a job if you're a Christian, that you can't run a business if you're a Christian, this is just a warm up, end quote. If, if you think this, then that's just a warm up. What is it? What, do you understand if then? Yeah, yeah, Mike, it's our fucking long form plan of making sure that all the wedding cakes are gay. <laughs> so, yeah, whatever you do. Uh, don't let Facebook stop your stupid Aunt Kathy from sharing Mike's made-up screenshots. Or the next thing you know, you'll have to fuck a baby to work at Walmart or something. It's on, 
All right. right. Well, it seems like Mike Slope is going to need an awful lot of lube. So while Eli negotiates his terms, we're going to pause for a quick break and hand things over to my lovely wife, Lucinda. A man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she was. If it's a legitimate race. It makes you a slut, right? Cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man. This week in Massachusetts. Welcome to this week's international tour of sexism. I'll be your tour guide today. All I ask is that you sit back, strap in, and be sure to keep your hands and ankles inside the burqa at all times. Speaking of which, we're going to start this tour off in Iran, where an unnamed woman was recently sentenced to two years in prison for taking off her hijab. Now, technically, the woman will be eligible for parole after three months, but Tehran's chief prosecutor, criticized the punishment as a light sentence and vowed to push for the full two-year penalty for her egregious crime. After all, she showed her head in public on purpose. This woman, of course, is part of an ongoing trend of civil disobedience in Iran, with women increasingly intolerant of the nation's prehistoric laws. More than 30 Iranian women have been arrested for publicly removing their veils just this year. And as near as I can tell, the judges are starting to ramp up the sentencing. After all, if they're not careful, they'll wind up as progressive and egalitarian as, say, Utah. So quick while Utah breaks out the party hats over the fact that they seem progressive compared to somebody, we'll shift our tour over to Hilldale, Utah, where the town just elected its first ever female mayor. And the city celebrated by quitting in mass. That's right. All but one of the town's seven employees resigned on the same day when they found out that they were going to have to work for a penisless mayor. Now, I should point out that if you've ever heard of Hilldale, it's probably because of something related to polygamy or marrying children. It's that kind of town. So it's no surprise that A, they're too cocky to work for a woman, and B, the majority of people want a female mayor. That's what happens when you let the wives outnumber the husbands, guys. Get used to it. And our final stop on this world tour is the world. No real story here, but while we're on the subject of female political leaders, I want to throw a nod to former Irish President Mary McAleese. She was giving a speech in Rome this week at the Voices of Faith conference, and when she opined on the Catholic Church, she basically hit the midway point between a twim and a diatribe. She pushed back hard against Pope Francis's dismissive attitude towards women, called them out for being homophobic and antiquated, pointed to their sadistic abuse of children, and dubbed the whole institution an empire of misogyny. So now that we've figured out a solid campaign slogan for Mike Pence 2024, I suppose I can bring the tour to a rolling stop and hand things back over to Noah, Heath, and Eli. Thank you, Lucinda. And in the Cure for What Jails You news tonight, residents of Bradley County, Tennessee, are furious after learning that their local sheriff was in the habit of dropping inmates off at local churches in civilian clothes with no supervision. Turns out that even Christian groups who take no issue with the obvious church-state separation violations involved would rather not have unmarked inmates in the pews next to their kids. Huh. Yeah, but they're fine with the guy at the front with the unmarked van. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, either way, I feel like we're focusing on the, the marking aspect. This is getting us off track. <laughs> I mean, you just check and see who goes to stab the priest when he goes for their wafer, right? Isn't yeah. that just pretty? <laughs> exactly. It's pretty easy to figure it out after the fact. Uh, now, the way this came to light is super interesting. So back in May of last year, Sheriff Eric Watson of the Bradley County Sheriff's Department took nine inmates to church wearing civilian clothes, completely unrestrained, no shackles or anything. Then he posted pictures of them on Facebook mingling and singing in the choir and interacting with children and bragged about how these were all former inmates that had turned their lives around with Jesus. But then somebody looked at the photos and they were like, what do you mean former? 
because they weren't. See, the, the Tennessee Department of Corrections has since confirmed that those were all state prisoners serving sentences in the local jail right then, except that they weren't what? in the jail. I'm honestly curious how this guy thinks the Internet works. Like, yeah. genuinely, <laughs> I would love to hear him explain what he thinks happened there. Well, I see, I figured by the time anyone saw the pictures, because the past, you see, <laughs> those, you know, like an album, I put it on there. <laughs> I tagged my nephew. I lied so about the it. date and put it in the feature, so I figured that'd be all right. It started in the year one, so it's not... <laughs> Of course, the church's pastor defended his captive audience marketing by pointing out that even Jesus got arrested. So, you know, sometimes felons are the son of God, sometimes not. You can never really tell. They are always one of those two things. That's true. Always one of those 100% two. 100% of the time. Uh, he then went on to point out that some 30% of Americans have been arrested. So in his words, quote, you and I likely and unknowingly interact with more prior inmates each day than we had in our meeting that Sunday, end quote. Okay, for the record, bro, arrests and inmates are two radically different things, <laughs> right? If you're curious, the number of people who have been inmates, that's closer to 5%, way too fucking high, but way lower than 30%. Also, the reason everyday life has more former inmates is because those weren't former inmates. <laughs> <laughs> And finally tonight, in friendly sky cake news, passengers flying from San Francisco to Boise last week got a terrifying glimpse into how religious people are all big fat liars when a woman stood up, started screaming, I am God, I am God, and proceeded to try to open the cabin door during the middle oh, of a flight. And despite the people on board being about 90% theist, nobody believed the woman and nobody let her carry out her role in the divine plan. Huh. Yeah. Which is bullshit because Matthew is super clear about the test they should have for that lady. They missed their <laughs> shot for eyeball monsters. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I just I love the Goldilocks zone of belief that they have to try to hit. Okay, all right. It's totally true. But if anybody ever acts like that, tackle that motherfucker and put him somewhere bouncy, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, so apparently the crazy lady went over to the cabin door and started trying to open it. And even though she had the omnipotent creator of the universe inside of her, that's still impossible. <laughs> even God was like, wow, there's a bunch of levers. <laughs> Plus physics. Fuck. So the people sitting right there finally decided to stop her. And this includes literally hog tying her in the aisle, which seems a little excessive, but also hilarious. Mm -hmm, yeah, so right. Balances out. That was a fun video. <laughs> By the way, the new speech about your responsibilities in the exit row just got way more involved. Yeah, right. They're <laughs> fucking cribbing questions from Gozer the Gozerian and walk up there. Do you have any physical abilities that would prevent you performing these duties? Okay. All right. What range of Greek letters best describes you, would you say? <laughs> <laughs> they just put her in the seat behind Noah. Okay. 14 more hours left. <laughs> oh, I'm gone. Oh, God. <laughs> Sir, take your headphones out. I need you to take your headphones out. It's official <laughs> rules. You can't. She's going to lean her seat all the way back and forward somehow. She's in both the seats surrounding you. Yeah, so uh, we spend a good amount of time on this show trying to point out ways that religion can be dangerous. It's a fun little game we play. But this was too easy. Honestly, it ruined the game. <laughs> if God's listening... Come on, man. Like, at least give us a challenge. <laughs> at least have another airline with the same thing happening, but the woman screams, nobody's God, nobody's God. Does, I don't know. 
something. Okay, to be fair, they untied Lucinda very quickly, and it was that lady smoker <laughs> wanted to talk to her about Jesus on the plane anyway, so I don't see why you have to attack our co-host. Yeah, so moral of the story, God apparently can create a door he can't open. <laughs> and he's probably pissed about all those people tying up his avatar. So expect some more baby cancer and school shootings coming up soon. Right, yeah, and <laughs> Flattered by Heath's confidence that I can segue right out of baby cancer and school shootings. We're going to close the headlines for the night. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. Free will is an illusion. And when we come back, Lee Strobel will help us put the crack back into crack and open a book. Uh, Perhaps if you squeeze the internet. Squeeze it where? The internet. Uh, Mr. President, oh, hi, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I'm sorry, Mr. President, did you need me? Oh, good. Tyler, you got to help me out. Me and Sarah are trying to get to the AMA. I'm I'm sorry, the AMA? Yeah, it says here in my email that the scathing atheist guys did an AMA with Lucinda and Anna Bosnick, and I want to hear it. I want to ask a question, and I want to hear what they have to say. Yeah, we have ways of making you talk. Yeah, no, we have ways of making you talk. Sure, it's an... AMA. It stands for Ask Me Anything. And yeah, yeah, it's actually for patrons of the Scathing Atheist. They can already listen to an hour of questions and answers with the Scathing Guys, their wives, and the love of Heath's life scotch by donating as little as a dollar at patreon.com slash scathingatheist. Wait a second. Ty. Ty fighter. Ty food. You're saying all I have to do is give a dollar and I get to hear a whole hour of extra stuff. Because Jared got in trouble for that. The dollar for uh, allegedly. Allegory, allegedly. Allegedly. Right, right. No, well, wrong, but she's right. Um, It's not only legal to patron the show, but it's even encouraged. You'll be helping to support skepticism and atheism. Plus, you get access to all the AMAs the guys have done, an extended version of every episode every week, plus an over-the-top compliment for your genitals to celebrate your patronage. That all sounds pretty good, but can I play it on my Zoom? Yep. When you sign up, you get a Patreon-only RSS feed that works on any podcast player. Uh, what about this rock? That's your hand. It's the question. Well, and that's not all. Patrons get signed copies of our new books, free copies of our ebooks, and higher level patrons get a song on the anniversary of their patronage. Wow, that all sounds pretty amazing, Ty Ty, this American Pie. I'm in. How do I sign up? Well, j- you just go to patreon.com slash scathing atheist and pledge what you can. You'll help keep the show going and get a ton of bonus content. How about this rock? No, it doesn't play on a rock, though. This one is my sister doesn't play on your sister. I don't understand. (laughs) Last week, we cracked open the case for Christ and took a tiny peek inside, but we saved the meat of the book for this week. And that's good because when you're dealing with this level of stupid, it's best to wean yourself on slowly. We needed a week to absorb how stupidly written this thing was going to be before we spent a week coping with how stupidly argued it was going to be. <laughs> or in the parlance of Eli Bosnick, it's Jingly Keys, the book. Oh. <laughs> hey, whole lot it's just nice to know that if this podcasting thing doesn't work out, we can all write the most popular book of Christian apologetics of all time in our <laughs> sleep. <laughs> right. And of course, joining us for this foray is my lovely wife, Lucinda. Lucinda, welcome back. I got to be honest here. At first, I thought those were page numbers at the bottom. It took me nearly 30 pages to realize that they were the maximum IQ you can have and still be convinced by this shit. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, something tells me you'll feel different once we get past page 60. So uh, we're going to go through all the 
arguments in the first chapter this week. Uh, we're in part one, examining the record. And the title for this week's chapter is The Eyewitness Evidence. Can the biographies of Jesus be trusted? <laughs> ooh, ooh, <laughs> yeah, ooh. there's a two-letter answer. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to start off meeting Leo. He's a 17-year-old that grew up in one of Chicago's grittiest neighborhoods. He's there, so we'll all know what eyewitness means, y'all. <laughs> right. and, and I like to call this introduction about Leo, is this slang? How about this? How about this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was definitely yeah. a backwards baseball cap involved in the writing. Of <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Lee Strobel definitely tried to do a, a break dancing move at some point and hurt himself. Just like, head spin, out. Ow, ow. <laughs> that's blood we had to call a timeout <laughs> and yeah and the whole point here is as uh, you know eyewitness testimony is powerful but then he neglects to mention that it's also one of the flimsiest shittiest types of evidence from any objective measurement the largest failing in american courts is its over reliance on eyewitness testimony funny how he doesn't bring that up yeah. yeah, he's hoping you won't remember that by telling a tragic unrelated story about a kid getting shot in the eyeball <laughs> yes right? Yeah, his summary is basically, if you don't believe the eyewitnesses to Jesus, it would be like, you know, ignoring a black kid that got shot in the head. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's how... He'll keep doing that. It's basically the Rodney King video with, like, Apostle John photoshopped over it all sloppy <laughs> in book form. <laughs> all right, so then we get our first subheading, because it's been a page, um, and that would be testimony from distant time. Right, and so now... He's going to relate it to Jesus. Yeah, right. Um, he sets out this long list. He's like, but do we have the testimony of anyone who personally interacted with Jesus, who listened to his teachings, who saw his miracles, et cetera, et cetera. And then he very poignantly doesn't answer that question. Instead, he goes talking about bullethead Leo some more. What, what, to be fair, which is convenient because the answer to all those questions is no, right. we do not. <laughs> right. But then he goes to see Dr. Craig Blomberg author of The Historical Reliability of the Gospels. He was a seminary graduate and a seminary professor. So, you know, he's crazy objective. <laughs> yeah. Objective source. Right. And he spends two giant, like, my first book without pictures size paragraphs <laughs> talking about how he wanted somebody objective, somebody reasonable, somebody unbiased. But then shits on all that with, like, uh-oh, this guy was a Cubs fan. He makes a joke about that. It's really stupid. And he never goes back to why we're supposed to think this guy is anything other than a Christian apologist. Yeah, right. exactly. He's just like, I wanted a detective without a dog in this fight. Dave had brown hair. I chose Dave. <laughs> <laughs> also, the whole idea makes no sense. He says he wants eyewitness testimony of whether Jesus Christ is the unique son of God. Yeah, what? Exact what? words. What the fuck would that even mean? <laughs> I, I, he's going to find somebody who watched Jesus be the unique <laughs> son of God? What? Okay, so eventually we get around to the interview itself. And honestly, my first question would just have been, Okay, so if you conclude Jesus wasn't the son of God, uh, do you still get to keep your job? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but before we get to the uh, the interview itself, we have to bolster Bloomberg's academic cred by explaining how many books he has. Wow, so many books. <laughs> he This is real. He even had a tie with books on it. He was so smart. smart Ton of books. Must have been 20 hundred in the how many is a lot of <laughs> books i don't 
couldn't even get into his office without pulling a book and spinning a bookshelf. <laughs> and the shelf was one big book. It was all, everything was, it might as well be a picture of Blomberg and he's salty the song. <laughs> so stupid. And then we get a five paragraph essay about how Blomberg has a, has pictures of his kids on the wall because objectivity means knowing he's likable. Apparently. Yes. <laughs> To be fair, if he described my apartment by contrast, he's crushing it. So, <laughs> <laughs> But Lee was tough on him here. He, actual opening, okay? Tell me this, I said with an edge of challenge in my voice. Is it really possible to be an intelligent, critically thinking person and still believe that the four Gospels were written by the people whose names have been attached to them? Um... Lee, why are you talking like that? <laughs> uh, not sure, you handsome, duplicitous devil. <laughs> I smell toast. <laughs> but, but the most fucked up thing is that Blumberg's answer here is yes. Yes. <laughs> right. I, I assume that this was like, you know, they didn't have to be straw man here, right? Like, no, they weren't actually written by those people, but that they, they don't have to be. And here's why. But no, his answer is just yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. But but he has evidence. <sighs> Exhibit A, pre-scientific people 1900 years ago sure seem to think so. <laughs> right. Well, not just that, but he admits he's like. Look, nobody signed these fucking things, but it was three votes to zero, guys. <laughs> yes! Three votes to zero. <laughs> right. But then he has exhibit B. Why would they lie? Yeah, what possible motive? I wonder. Well, you can't even say that because the answer is to start a religion. <laughs> right. The professor's like, uh, what did these witnesses have to gain by lying? Like... Like, if we found out the apostles were degenerate gamblers making weird prop bets about Jesus, <laughs> then every Christian Bible scholar would be Jewish out of, like, intellectual integrity? What the <laughs> fuck is he talking about? And the argument seems to be, tell me if I'm wrong here, Mark and Luke weren't even main characters. Yes! <laughs> it would have been way more reasonable if they were lying to use someone better known from the Jesus story. If it was a lie. <laughs> But then Lee says, you mean like John? And dude's all like, oh, fuck, John. Right. <laughs> Shit. Three votes to one. Still, three to one. We said three to one. You still win. It's three to one. Like, what does 75% of faith look like? Like, serious question. What is that? Pretty good, though. Um, he says in here, quote, John is the only gospel about which there is some question about authorship. End quote. A, bullshit to the highest fucking degree, but also B, damn clumsily constructed sentence you're supposed to be writing, dude. And then he reaches his conclusion. The Gospels are obviously based on eyewitness material. Yeah. Oh, and it hard right turns into that yeah. nonsense conclusion. Like he's in the middle of a sentence about how even he doesn't buy those last couple of sentences. And then he's like, yeah. <laughs> so it's basically video if you think about it. What? <laughs> Wait, what? We... Rodney King, you racist. Rodney King. <laughs> but then Lee tries to pin down how Blomberg knows these are eyewitness testimonies. And he's all like, well, some dude 100 years later seemed pretty darn sure about it. And, and and so did a dude writing 130 years later, yeah, too. Wait, wait, keep in mind that this huh. would be like one of us offering up an eyewitness account of the goddamn Civil War. <laughs> well, it's like if Eli gave an eyewitness account of the Civil War and your evidence is that I said he didn't make a mistake. While he was <laughs> right. Hats. 
They did wear <laughs> hats, Eli. Exactly. Perfect word of God right there. <laughs> hats. And now that's established. Some dude said it was 150 years after Jesus supposedly died. We are done proving that point. He even sums it up. He's like, so a guy wrote about being told that these are accurate. Yep. Okay, fucking bingo. We're done here. That is how evidence works. It's so weird and leading. It's like, yeah, so I guess it's safe to say that I, Lee Strobel, the world's number one ranked atheist journalist, have no choice but to embrace Jesus Christ into my heart as the Lord and Savior because of math. Is that correct? <laughs> exactly correct. You have no other choice, Lee Strobel. And these questions are so fucking stupid. His yeah. next question is like, how come these don't read like the biographies I see in the book Semillion then, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This was so fucking sloppy. He might as well have said, what should my next subheading be? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and Blumberg brushes his question off by pointing out that ancient writers didn't really give much of a fuck about getting things correct. That's his argument in favor of the gospel's <laughs> historicity. It's really fucking weird. It gets weird fast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, including someone's whole life and their biography was invented in 1992 is the actual <laughs> argument in this section. Also, they hadn't invented quotation marks yet. <laughs> You're right. So there was no way to write down exact words. Impossible to do that. That's literally another yes, actual argument. They hadn't invented truth punctuation yet. <laughs> And uh, yeah, reason number two that Mark seems like a giant liar, but definitely isn't. <laughs> the crucifixion is way more important than the huge list of insane miracles of Jesus. So Mark was basically like, yeah, yada, 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 bread, yada, 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 torture porn. That's what you need to know. <laughs> and now he brings up the Q document and doesn't shy away from the fact that Matthew and Luke copied a bunch of their shit out of Mark. Right. Lee's like, hey, remember four sentences ago when we were talking about how flawless their testimony was? Any chance that could be because they were copying off each other's notes? <laughs> <laughs> and Blomberg's like, no, it's much more likely that they had really good 150-year memories. <laughs> <laughs> but Strobel was onto something here. So he's like, but if you isolate just the stuff from the Q document, what kind of Jesus we talking? This is his version of Enhance. Yeah, right. <laughs> by the way. And Blomberg says, it's like a JC's greatest hits album. That's what the cue is. Does uh, that help? <laughs> and no, it does not. No, <laughs> not, at all. not at all. And even in the cue document, which may or may not have existed and may or may not have been a collection of sayings and about which we only know the parts that second century Christians wanted incorporated into their gospels, it says that Jesus was God's kid. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. yeah. The point of this tangent is. Well, the cue is basically a collection of sayings, you know, like, like, uh, remember the time I did all those miracles? Whose point am I making? I'm sorry. <laughs> I, what? Yeah. And Blomberg makes another ridiculous excuse here. He, he says, you wouldn't hear about the miracles because the cue is really just saying. Yeah. But wouldn't some of the sayings be about the fucking miracles? <laughs> if I could turn water into wine, I'd speak in nothing but slogans about my wine magic. <laughs> like, no one comes to the Father except through mead. Just all wine puns all the time. <laughs> then he's like, why would Matthew the eyewitness crib notes from Mark the not eyewitness? And the answer here is because Mark heard shit from Peter. But then... 
This is no longer eyewitness testimony, right? <laughs> right? This is Matthew writing down what Mark says Peter says. You've just accidentally <laughs> destroyed your own fucking argument here. Done. Right. And he tries so badly to cover this up with the sloppiest example possible. He's like, yeah, uh, so I, sometimes I hear people talk, but then I say, what? And if you think about it, that's like not being there at all. Yeah. <laughs> 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 what? <laughs> also, Peter was in the inner circle. Right. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that Matthew would be like, hey, I was like a few feet further away. Was he being the unique son of God just now? <laughs> right there in the inner circle from there. To your perspective, cool. He was good. Bam, proof. Uh, you know you're killing your argument when you feel the need to follow up a point with this sentence. Quote, yes, I thought to myself, that did make some sense. <laughs> he does <laughs> so many times. <laughs> there are so many times in this book where he's like, that was sure convincing, huh? I'd say this chapter is being concluded beautifully right now. Is it not? Yes, it is not. Wait. And, and by the way, that's all it took to convince Lee Strobel, the atheist, that the Gospels came directly from Luke, John, and Mark. He's done with that now, never bothers to address the fact that they didn't even seem to exist until long after those guys died, never even brought that up, yeah. moving on. Well, they hadn't invented the semicolon at this point, well, so... <laughs> Time travel. Time travel. <laughs> there were no, no Oxford commas. Stalin <laughs> and JFK were hookers. It was terrible. Terrible. <laughs> and now it is time to explain why John tells a completely different and contradictory story. Yeah. It, note that we're not even going to deal with the myriad contradictions in the so-called synoptic gospels. Mm -hmm. Okay. To be fair, we're not really going to deal with the contradictions in Johnny. Well, no, that's true. <laughs> the best Blomberg can really do is say, well, if you think about it, they get less contradictory towards the end. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what? Great. And, and the explanation here seems to be John knew that the other two guys had covered that shit. So he was doing an ender shadow. You see, yeah. <laughs> he's doing an ender shadow. <laughs> but the explanation had a second part, too. Let's be fair. Either John knew all about the other three Gospels and didn't need to repeat stuff, or he didn't know about the other three Gospels, which means next chapter. <laughs> <laughs> Any whoozle bees. Yeah. Right. So he ultimately concludes that they're, they're not really contradictions because all the Gospels deal with similar themes. <sighs> Right. That's how you can tell all of the episodes of this show were based on the same week's worth of news stories because of the similar <laughs> themes. Yeah. How thematically different would John need to be for Blomberg to call bullshit? Like, have you heard about the one Jay Sizzle? <laughs> <laughs> and then Blomberg is all like, look, contrary to popular belief among scholars, son of man means nope, nope, gonna stop you there, buddy. <laughs> Done. Okay, but let's not forget that Jesus uses the verb to be several times in both John's gospel and the other ones. He uses sometimes infinitive, sometimes conjugated out. Pretty big coincidence that everyone seems to know he was using a super rare verb like to be. Yeah, it really emphasizes what an uphill battle this is when he has to start the book out by arguing that his primary source agrees with itself. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, th this is the discussion they're having. Strobel says, John seems to remember the most important story ever way differently. Uh, you want to talk about that? And Blomberg says, no, trust me, Jesus thought he was God. <laughs> what? That's it? 
this whole subsection is just a fight with your girlfriend where you're like, I just want to hang with my friends. And she's like, so my mother is fat now. <laughs> <laughs> but see, as Strobel explains here, the Gospels aren't contradictory. They just had different theological emphases. Uh. Like, like Luke was more concerned about the poor, so he thought Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Mark wanted to show Jesus as the suffering servant, so he thought he was born in Nazareth. You <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> Themes. And again, he relies on his argument from ancient historians are allowed to lie. Yes. (laughs) He's just like, you have to understand. Eli doesn't like Wikipedia. He already knows these stories about the magicians. (laughs) It's his turn to write an essay. He's got a lot going on. Tom writes his comments very late. (laughs) (laughs) Then we get what I hope is the worst analogy of the book here. Strobel says, but doesn't the fact that they have clear agendas make them impossible to take as historical documents? And Blomberg says, yes, but Jews have ulterior motives for saying the Holocaust happened, <laughs> and you don't bitch about them, do you? <laughs> so Pretty weird. much word for word. Though. Yeah, because so many of those videos and pictures from Auschwitz are selfies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but wait, but wait. Is his argument here... If you think about it, Jews are pretty good at history. I mean, what's the point <laughs> that he's trying to make? Uh, Heath? Heath? Maybe yeah. fill us in? You seem to have some questions Wait, no, about it's, Jews. It's some proof, Jewish questions, it's, it's, if you will. It's, it's legit. It's proof by modus death tollens. That's a real <laughs> classic argument. Classic argument from white guilt. It's good. He keeps doing this. And, and it looks like he's going to keep ramping that up for this whole book, by the way. By the end, it's just going to be like, oh, Really? Jesus isn't the son of God. Perhaps you'd like to rape Rosa Parks. Maybe hunt MLK on this weird island. No, exactly. (laughs) And then we finally get around to mentioning that none of this shit was written until all of the eyewitnesses were long dead. Right. Well, but he points out that some eyewitnesses might still be alive 70, 80 or 90 years after the fact. No, and, no. and he's, he's <laughs> certainly sure that some of those hundred and ten year old Judeans had pretty sharp memories. Yeah. You know how you go to the grocery store without the list, and then you remember exactly what your great grandfather wanted a hundred years ago. Yeah. It's like that. <laughs> like that. What does he think happened? It's like, hey, Dave, remember when you were a kid and you saw your eight hundred thirty ninth crucifixion? Is this book I'm writing a perfectly accurate description <laughs> yeah, of what happened? Right. It is. Got it. <laughs> Good. Good. Also, he pulls such an intellectually disingenuous bullshit move here, like even for what we've read so far. This is all you need to dismiss everything this dude ever fucking says. He points out that the two main biographies we get our knowledge about Alexander the Great from were written hundreds of years after his death. <laughs> but, and he doesn't mention this... They were based on shit that was written contemporaneously. <laughs> Those books didn't survive, but like they listed fucking sources that already exist. They were the first fucking biographies of Alexander the Great ever written. Alexander the Great took biographers along with him on his conquests. He even goes so far as to say nothing legendary developed about Alexander the Great until at least 500 years after Yes! That. Yes! <laughs> What? what? <laughs> Where right. have and, and that all kind of misses the major point, which is that we didn't start a religion around how many Thessalonians Alexander tricked into the mountains of whatever, <laughs> right? It's just not. Good point. But uh, Eli, for $500, what empire was Alexander the Great in charge of right now? Uh, Alexandria. So close. Oh, like like close. way closer than usual. That was uh, That's he the name of the city right that he was up against it. $250. <laughs> 
Yeah, but Strobel literally calls the intervening decades a non-issue. Yep. Yeah, you know how reporters are never bothered by a source telling them a 75-year-old story? It's like that. (laughs) Well, yeah, sure. He says, but it could have been as little as 30 years, but it was probably three times that. But it could have been only 30 years. And it's not like a whole Sinbad genie movie could crop up in that short amount of time. (laughs) Okay, it's real. Eli, I'm not doing this again. It was a boom box. No, Eli, you're embarrassing yourself. It was magic. It was a magic tour. <laughs> Genie magic. So, so, yeah, he's like... I watched in- it all the time. <laughs> You're thinking of a different world. Uh, that's what that was. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he's like, indeed, that last point in my book was very impressive. <laughs> 33 years is less than an eye blink of geological term, so, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> in science, I believe we call that a science. <laughs> Winning the book. My book is crushing it. But what about the epistles? Well, those were written even earlier. And make no concrete claims about Jesus, who Paul says he met as a fucking ghost. (laughs) Who said ghosts aren't real? This is serious. Anyway, back to the dates that only I know about. (laughs) Plus, Paul might have been saying shit he knew from even earlier than that. Mm, And and as a skeptic, this wiped away one of Lee's biggest objections to Christianity. Which decade people started saying he was God in? Yeah, that's the (laughs) one that's really been... I was going to ask about that. Yes, thank you. As a skeptic, I'm a skeptic. I don't know if you heard. I'm uh, the number one ranked skeptic. I'd love to believe in Jesus, but... Can you hit this literal softball that I'm going to throw to you, Mr. Blomberg? (laughs) Okay, wow. You totally got a piece of that. You totally got a piece of that. I am Christian. Right. And this chapter, this explanation is so meaningful to him that he writes that he, like, collapses into the bookcase like a Lamanite. He he might as well just faint onto a couch and need snifters to wake back up again. (laughs) Yeah, so that's it. He wraps the chapter up there, but he apparently saw us coming. And he offered up a few questions for reflection or group study at the end. That's us for group study. So I thought we would close by working our way through those. Number one, how have your opinions been influenced by someone's eyewitness account of an event? What are some factors you routinely use to evaluate whether someone's story is honest and accurate? How do you think the Gospels would stand up to that scrutiny? Okay, I'm absolutely not doing his workbook problems. (laughs) Pass. No. Usually I evaluate stories by counting the impossible things that happen in them. Mm -hmm. If it's, you know, more than zero, (laughs) I stop counting and move on with my life. Yeah, well, one of my favorite (laughs) metrics is if I catch you omitting a fact that completely destroys your argument that even a casual fan of history would know, I stop believing everything you say (laughs) after that. Yep. Okay. Uh, Well, I think it's obvious if Mark and John actually saw something, they should have come out to the police, right? Like, why didn't they say something sooner? (laughs) Also, if Jesus was attractive, they wouldn't have cared at all. Am I doing it right? I feel like I'm doing it right. No. You're not. (laughs) All right. So number two, do you believe the Gospels can have a theological agenda while at the same time being trustworthy in what they report? Why or why not? Do you find Blomberg's Holocaust analogy helpful in thinking through this issue? Yeah, I think when you use the most emotionally charged possible thing to make your convoluted diagonal point, it clarifies the hell out of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, let's take a second to appreciate the kind of fight you're fighting when question two is, okay, but can you at least admit that it would be theoretically possible for these data to be accurate? (laughs) And the answer is no. Yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) 
I mean, it's certainly helpful in thinking about Heath. <laughs> okay, as a skeptic, <laughs> I'd love to hear some numbers from Switzerland just to compare. So I'm, I'm just asking questions. Yeah, no, clearly. Speaking of questions, number three. How and why does Blomberg's description of the early information about Jesus affect your opinion about the reliability of the Gospels? Uh, it makes me confused that anyone kept reading this book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it makes me wonder what those words say when you use Blomberg's decoder ring. <laughs> uh, for me, at first, I thought there were a lot of contradictions because of how different John was from the other three uh, Gospels. He used the word distinctives instead of <laughs> And that made me feel more Christian. That's true. Yeah. Very reliable, I would say. It combines with the thing on the cover that says over 5 million copies sold to destroy my faith in humanity. Yeah, right. <laughs> All together. All right. Well, apparently we're going to get more from this same Blomberg dipshit next time around. Uh, That's the bad news. The good news is that we don't have to do that until episode 268. So anybody convinced so far about the uh, about the Jesus? Uh, no book contract yet, so not yet. No. He didn't all right. use parlance at all <laughs> in chapter one. So all right, Lee Strobel, me. the devil wins this round, but he we're going to give you a more. second chance. And the good news is no matter how convincing Strobel gets in chapter two, you still have two more episodes to enjoy before we turn our lives over to Christ. Until then, this has been The Case for Christ. Before we disappear over the horizon today, I want to issue you a challenge. We're running an Easter slash April Fool's contest on our Facebook page. We're looking for the best failed greeting cards for Easter. And if you want in, just like our Facebook page and check out events for all the details. There's even a couple of sample cards to get you started. Winner gets a shout out in a couple of weeks. Anyway, that's all the blasphemy we've got for you tonight. But we'll be back in 10,022 minutes with more. If you can't wait that long, be on the lookout for a brand new episode of our sister show, The Skeptocrat, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Monday. An even newer episode of our sister show's hot friend, God Awful Movies, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday. And in a yet newer episode of our half-sister show, Citation Needed, at noon Eastern on Wednesday. And if even that's too long to wait, you should find more hobbies. Obviously, this show would refuse to convert to MP3 on general principle if I neglected to thank the ever-studious Heath Enright for all the studing. I need to thank the lovely and talented Lucinda Illusions for all the love and the talent. I need to thank the incomparable Eli Bosnick for all the incompering. And I also want to thank Lee from North Carolina for providing this week's Farnsworth quote and congratulate her on her master's. North Carolina definitely needs a few more of those. But most of all, of course, I need to thank this week's best bipeds, Jeffrey Kyle, Nathaniel, Carl, Derek, Kayla, Charles, Catherine, Heather, and Jason, Rosa, Sideshow, Bob, Drew, and Michael. Jeffrey, Kyle, Nathaniel, Carl, and Derek, who penetrate deeper than Heinz Guderian. Kayla, Charles, Catherine, Heather, and Jason, who are so hot the sun wears them cream. And Rosa, Sideshow, Bob, Drew, and Michael, whose intellects are so vast Alexa asks them shit. Together, these 14 phenomenally fuckable free thinkers forewent financial frills for future fractious Philippics against faith this week by giving us money. Not everybody has the audacity, capacity, and tenacity it takes to give us money, but if you think you're up to the challenge, you can make a per episode donation at Patreon whereby you'll earn early access to an extended ad-free version of every episode. Or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the donate button on the right side of the homepage at scathingatheist.com. And if you'd like to help, but you're a large consumer of foreign steel, you can also help a ton by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes, sharing the show with a friend, or liking us on Facebook. Legal services for this podcast are provided by the law offices of P. Andrew Torres, and our audio engineer is Morgan Clark, who also wrote all the music that was used in this episode, which was used with permission. If you have questions, comments, or death threats, you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at scathingatheist.com. the
dumbest argument. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Like that. that Among point a in the sea book, of dumb arguments. Oh, oh, at that point oh. in the book, I'm like, oh, it's gonna be that easy. <laughs> Why the fuck did I buy a case against the case for Christ? He's making it that easy on me. Yeah, oh. it's like the first Christian to tweet at you, and he's never argued with an atheist before. The book. Yeah. Oh, he's just like, oh yeah. Where does everything come from? And you're just like, oh my sweet, sweet child. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. Have a seat. No, I'm I'm waiting for the fucking crocoduck argument to show up in here. This I this is Ray Comfort level arguments. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. It's so much better at worse than I thought it would be. Met with my friend Dr. Kirk Cameron. Maybe you've heard of him. <laughs> Uh, traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Professor of Growing Pains. <laughs> right next to Per Se. <laughs> <laughs> That's not where the exchange is. The preceding podcast was a production of Puzzle and a Thunderstorm, LLC. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.